0: Good morning, one chapel. I'm so glad you're joining us today. We've been doing this series called The Jesus Way, and we've taken it out of John 14, verse 6, where Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I want you to notice here in this verse that there's three words that are really profound. And it is the way and the truth. And the life. And these three words are never to be separated. We should, in fact, they're emphatically connected, and we should see it that way. In other words, when the the Jesus way is combined with the Jesus truth, that's what gives us the Jesus life. And so it's so important that we understand and embrace that idea, which means that we can't proclaim the Jesus truth. And then do it any old way we want to. We have to understand that the Jesus life only comes when we understand his ways. And I've been saying this the past couple of weeks that this pandemic that we've lived through, we're still living through, is really has exposed a lot of faulty weaknesses within the practice of our faith and how we've been living our lives. And one of those major areas of of weakness is just we've, we've seen it in our spiritual lives. We've seen it in the way that we're following or maybe in the ways that we're not following Jesus. And so I'm so glad you're here today and that we can dive into this idea, this concept of talking about the Jesus way. You know, at each of our campus, we've been proposing this question. And I think each of us need to wrestle with this question. And it's, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it mean to really follow him when everything's been stripped away? And, and what is the role of the church in the way that we follow Jesus? Do we have a responsibility to reimagine what that looks like in the middle of what we're experiencing together? And so over the last few weeks, we've started breaking down the Jesus way. We've we've started going back to the basics of what it really means to follow Jesus. We've looked at the American way of doing things that has maybe directly or indirectly, maybe intentionally or even unintentionally affected how we follow Jesus. And so we've looked at the faulty and destructive tendency to look to those who are the trained or the qualified or the experts. And we rely on them too much to spoon feed us. That that is not the Jesus way. In fact, last week we exposed the lie of the two-level hierarchy that sometimes we embrace in the church or we embrace it in the, in the fo- the way we follow Jesus and first there are those who are trained here's how it goes those who are trained and sometimes referred to as the called and these are the pros right these are the people who are paid to preach and teach and guide us in the christian way this is the upper level Group of people, and then and then there's everybody else. <laughs> these this is the, the these are the people who have been given all the boring jobs, right? Like uh, storekeepers, lawyers, journalists, doctors, uh, software engineers, uh, computer programmers. This, this group of people somehow they only get to work part time for the 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 work of Jesus, and and they're kind of working just on the margins of the kingdom. Listen, listen, one chapel. This is a huge lie. This is the lie of the enemy. It comes from the pit of hell because, in the company of Christians, the hierarchy of expertise simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. There are no experts in the company of Jesus. In the community of Jesus, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. All ground is level when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're all beginners. We're all followers because the truth is we don't really know where we're going. We must follow Jesus. And we poked at the issue uh, a few weeks ago of whether or not the end justifies the means when it comes to following Jesus. In other words, a way to say that was as long as I believe in Jesus, as long as I believe in him, does it really matter how I live my life? Does it really matter how I follow Jesus? Well, the simple answer is yes. Yes, it does matter. We must follow the Jesus way. And we must really begin to understand all of the ways that Jesus is the way. And so today I want to address another major issue that I think is far too prevalent in our American churches and in our American way of following Jesus, And I want to look at a decision, and I want to look at a definition here. And so join me in looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. The gospel of Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Fishermen, come follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. Now I want you to notice that there are three imperatives in this passage three imperatives spoken by Jesus here in Mark's telling of the gospel. The first is repent, repent. The second is believe. And then the third is come follow me, repent, believe, and then come follow me. These are three imperatives as the first commands that Jesus gives us after his radical inaugural announcement that the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is coming. So repent, believe, and come follow me. And these three imperatives are invitations to live precisely in this reality, in this kingdom that God has invited us into, the kingdom of following Jesus. And so that makes these three imperatives absolutely essential when it comes to following Jesus. You can't follow him in any other way that you'd like that does not include these three imperatives. And so let's, let's define them, all right? The first imperative is repent. Repent, which requires a decision, a decision to leave one way of life and to set out on another way of life, to turn around and go the other direction. That's The fundamental idea of repentance repentance doesn't isn't about adding Jesus to an already full meal or a full plate we don't add him in to the many things we're interested in repentance is really significant because it commands a change of mind and a change of heart that results in a change of direction And it's a confession that where we're headed isn't working. It's not working right. We need to turn around. Some people think this word repent kind of is is negative in some way. Like it just conjures up a negativity. But listen, there is no more positive word in the entire Bible. There is no more positive exclamation in the entire scripture than repent. Because once you embrace the idea of repentance, it, is, it triggers everything. God's intervention in your life, God's good way, God's good news, the, the, the way of Jesus is when you repent, it begins this beautiful process of starting with him. And so the, this, is, this is the first imperative. The second imperative is believe, which requires a personal trusting, a personal faith that has relational involvement in this comprehensive reordering of our reality. We're reordering the way we live. It's a faith and hope and trust in who Jesus says he is and embracing it, a reliance and dependence on his love and on his salvation and his direction for our lives. It's, believing is way more than just mental or intellectual. It is embracing a new reality of life, the life of Jesus. And believing is not the end. It's like, it's like oh, I believe something now. Oh, that's all I need. No, actually, it's, it's really part of the beginning. You believe so that you can begin to Act. On what you believe, because that's the third imperative, is to follow, which gets us moving obediently in the way of life that is visible and audible in Jesus. A way of speaking and thinking about the life of God, imagining and praying that is congruent with like kingdom realities. Like we're lining up with the way God does things, we're lining up with his kingdom, a way of living that surrenders our will. My will to the will of God, to the will of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. This is the idea of following. And so to follow Jesus means leaving an old way of life behind, entering a new way of life that comes from a personal relationship an interaction with Jesus, and that is formed and shaped by what Jesus is saying and formed by what Jesus is doing. And not only that, but it is the way he is doing it, the way that Jesus is doing it. Now, when Jesus said, I am the way, I want you to look at this. He said, he used the word way to define himself. He defines himself by this very unique word. This is the essence of Jesus' call to every one of us to follow him and live his way. So let's break down the word way because the next few, during the next few weeks, we're going to go on a journey uh, to look specifically of how Jesus took a different way even when Satan himself tempted him tempted Jesus to choose alternative ways. We're going to study that as we move forward in this series. And so the word way is a simple noun. All right, it's a simple noun designating a road or a path, a trail that leads to a destination. But it's also, the word way is also a metaphor. It's an idea, it's a metaphor that describes not only the way we go, as in the route we take, right? But it also is the way we go on the way, whether by foot or bike or automobile. It describes something beyond just the trail. And this is what is so profound about what Jesus says about himself. Because this thinking, this idea of the way as a metaphor describes the way We talk, the way we use our influence, the way we treat one another, the way we raise our children, the way we read, the way we worship, the way we vote, the way we garden, the way we ski, the way we feel, the way we eat. So the way is all the various and accumulated ways and means that characterize the Jesus way of life the Jesus way of life. And so uh, uh, we're, we're unpacking this throughout the weeks. We're unpacking this, and it takes a lot to unpack it because we're not used to thinking this way. So let me give you kind of an, another illustration of this. A few years ago, I went on a hiking trip into the southern Colorado mountains called the Weminuche Wilderness, and it was beautiful, just incredible scenery, amazing. We backpacked for eight days, and we, we went off trail with 45 pounds in our backpacks. And I went with Britt Hancock of Mountain Gateway, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, they were training us and encouraging us in what they do to train missionaries. It was an awesome uh, experience with them. And we were at the base camp, and we were packing our backpacks, right? And so um, we, were, we were getting together all the stuff that we would purchased that we're going to take, and i'd bought all this stuff i mean i'd bought everything everything that looked like i might need it on the trip i bought it <laughs> and so all my stuff is out on the floor because that's what you do when you're getting ready to go on a long hike you you get everything that you have and you put it all out on the floor every little even little toothpicks or you know your handkerchief or your little toiletries or little things that you're doing every shirt every pair of socks and and you just put it all out there and it's all spread out and everybody's everybody's stuff's all spread out and you're trying to learn how to pack your backpack because it matters and and then and because then, you're going to unpack it and repack it each day as you use different things out of it and so it's really an incredible thing and and um as, as Britt came by and he would inspect everybody's things and he, he looked at all our stuff and, and he came by my, all my stuff and he said, yep, don't need that, don't need this, uh, get rid of that, don't need, don't need that. No, th- no that's, that's ridiculous, that's gonna break. It's not gonna work, that, you don't need that. Get rid of this shirt, get rid of that pair of socks, you don't need this many. He, he got rid of so much stuff because he said, you are not gonna enjoy this. at tw- You're not gonna enjoy carrying all this stuff when we get to 12,000 feet above sea level. And it was so interesting because I was concerned about the way or the path or the incline of the mountain, the trail or the lack of a trail. I was concerned about those things and how he would lead me through the mountains. But what he was concerned about was the way I would travel and the disposition of, My backpack and how it connected to my body, the weight, the balance, the experience, the challenge and the joy of the journey that he didn't want me to miss. Because the way I loaded my backpack really had an influence on the experience of hiking, how easy or how difficult it would be for me. He didn't want me to miss out on the experience because I was so weighed down by all my stuff. This is very much a microcosm of the way of Jesus surrendering and giving up things that we think are really important to us. But interestingly enough, the American way of following Jesus, I think, sometimes accumulates too many things, too much stuff, too many things that we just don't actually need. In fact, those things may make the journey more difficult more challenging, even cause us to fall or to fail or even even quit because it's too hard. I had a choice to listen to Britt, who was the, the, the one leading us on this journey, it making my travel easier, or I could ignore it, and I would suffer the effects of carrying too much stuff into the mountains. The same is true for you and I when we begin to look at the Jesus way We have a decision to make. We have multiple decisions to make about the way Jesus is leading us, whether to let go or to hold on. At the beginning of the book of Psalms, the opening meditation uses the metaphor to set two ways of life before us. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I memorized it when I was a kid. I think it was in seventh or eighth grade. I memorized the entire chapter, and it goes like this. Psalm 1, 1 through 6, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does prospers. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's a powerful picture. The psalmist is asking us, which way will you take? <laughs> will you live a fruitful and substan- a substantial life, a substantive life, a life of prayer, a life of listening and answering God, a life of being rooted in the soil of God's revelation to you, of your life growing like a tree with fruit-laden branches, or will you live an unproductive and insubstantial life? We live an unproductive life of chatter and gossip and using words without God context, completely oblivious to what God is saying of your life, reduced to a pile of incoherent syllables. Leaves blown every which way by the wind. Choose your way is what the psalmist is saying. Choose which way. Jesus repeats and develops the Psalm 1 imagery here, these two ways in this Sermon on the Mount. Let's read it together in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I want you to notice what it says. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. You got to see the picture. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The New King James Version in this last verse 14, it actually says it like this. It says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Listen, you, you got to find it. You and I, we have to understand there's some difficulty In finding this way, we want an easier and a more convenient way so often, a faster way if we can make it happen. Now, the reason I'm making such a big deal out of this, out of the way, is because as a culture, we're now accepting the many different ways when it comes to how we live our lives. But even more significant than that is the prevailing voices of our culture today that are proclaiming that all ways lead to God. All ways lead to God. There's a shift that has happened in our culture, a a revolution, a spiritual revolution, really. This message that all roads, all ways lead to the same place. You may call him God. uh, You may call God Allah, Buddha, Jehovah, Mother Spirit, Jedi, Spaghetti Ninja, or Jesus. But, It doesn't matter what you name him or name you use because it's all the same God is the way the message goes. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is not to be controversial or to come across as intolerant or unloving. Indeed, as Christians, you and I are called to be loving and tolerant of all people. Even as we practice the ways of Jesus. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because of what the Apostle Paul says over and over again. And he says, especially to his young son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and the things taught by demons. This seems crazy to me. I want you to notice, he says, in later times. In later times, some will abandon their faith. Now, that's a huge and sobering thought that I think we have to wrestle with because as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, closer to the end of times, that there will be people who call themselves Christians that give up, that actually fall away from their faith. And this is the huge challenge for us. But the, really, the, the issue with this, the issue with this idea of falling away is deception. The deception is really the problem. Because remember, the power of deception is the fact that you don't even know (laughs) that you're being deceived. The power of deception is you don't know it's happening. And there's a process that begins to happen if you're not on your guard, if you're not vigilant in your faith, if you're not, you'll end up in a precariously awkward position of being swept up into deception or into some ideology, thinking that your way is right and that Jesus' way really isn't that important. I think it's essential for us to understand that this deception or this falling away, it doesn't all happen at the same time. It doesn't happen overnight. Listen to me now. This falling away doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens over an extended period of time. The deception or falling away isn't something that just, boom, it just happens in a blink of an eye. It is something that is eroded. It begins to be weakened. A person's faith begins to be damaged. A person's belief system begins to, to be destroyed. But little by little, it's a slowly slipping away of your faith. A little bit at a time. One disappointment at a time. One mystery and confusion at a time. It's a slow fade. And we, listen, listen to me, church. Listen to me, One Chapel. We are living in a, in a generation of slowly slipping away. I want you to think about this. Almost 30 years ago, 30 years ago there was an issue of a Newsweek magazine in a Newsweek magazine that heralded the dramatic religious resurgence among baby boomers and it had some interesting observations i'm going to read it to you it says unlike earlier religious revivals the aim this time is support and not salvation help rather than holiness a circle of spiritual equals rather than an authoritative church or guide. A group affirmation of self is at the top of the agenda, which is why some of the least demanding churches are now in the greatest demand. Around that same time period, in the early 90s, at the end of the 20th century, U.S. News & World Report did a cover story on the subject of spirituality, and they noted American religion has taken on the aura of pop psychology many congregations have multiplied their memberships by going light on theology and offering worshipers a steady diet of sermons and support groups that emphasize personal fulfillment the hottest selling books offer advice on how to become better parents spouses employees bosses lovers and friends how to overcome substance abuse and how to lose weight now listen listen to me these are, those are all good things Losing weight, overcoming addictions, becoming a better marriage partner. Absolutely, these are good. But, but there's an entire generation that began to be shaped by this way of Christianity in America. And it is a s- slow and subtle and even subversive dynamic where we have exchanged the Jesus way of sacrificial self-denial to the American way of psychological self-fulfillment. The French philosopher Voltaire, he once wrote, God made man in his image, and man returned the favor. (laughs) Man returned the favor. See, ever since the perfect image of God was ruined in the garden, when sin entered the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve decided to reach out and take a hold of life on their own terms. Mankind has been attempting to recreate God in our image. We want a God we can understand. We want a God where we can, that we can predict and even figure out. We want a God we can maybe even control. We want a God custom-made to suit our individual needs and our circumstances. We want a God who will put up with our mood swings and our temper tantrums. We want a God we can check in with now and then a God who will tolerate our excesses and our oversights. We, we want a God who will look the other way when we fail or who, when, when we refuse to live up to the life he's called us to in the scriptures. We want a God who will help us feel okay about ourselves. Life magazine had a feature story in which different people from different walks of life were asked to describe their prayer lives. One of the people interviewed was a prostitute, and she said, a lot of people think working girls don't have any morals, any religion, but I do. I don't steal. I don't lie. The way I look at it, I'm not sinning. God's not going to judge me. I don't think God judges anybody. Now, you know, all of this reminds me of something I saw one time the Temple of 10,000 Buddhas. You might have heard of it. It's an unusual place of worship in China. And uh, it's so interesting because worshipers can literally design their own god. The temple is filled with more than 10,000 uh, likenesses of Buddha, each a little different from the next. And so worshipers can pick and choose which image they like best, and oftentimes they, people try to choose the likeness or find the likeness that resembles themselves. And then they bow before it in worship, bowing before an idol that resembles themselves. See, as crazy as that sounds, I think it's the same thing that's going on in our culture today. And that's why it's so imperative that we understand And fully walk in the Jesus way. Because this reset we're going through, that we've been going through the last six months, needs to fully encompass how we follow Jesus. And we have to let go of all these other ways and fully embrace the Jesus way. Now, next week, we're going to begin climbing through the process of looking at the three temptations that the devil tried to get Jesus to give into. And it's incredibly significant what Jesus went through because it's similar to what we go through. The devil didn't try to convince Jesus to change the end result. That wasn't his strategy. He tried to convince Jesus to compromise the how, the way. The devil attacked the way Jesus went about accomplishing his purpose and his mission. Jesus said no to these temptations. But here we are 2,000 years later, and I I think so many have been saying yes to these temptations, and that has huge ramifications. And so I want to call all of us at One Chapel, I want to call all of us to a season of prayer and fasting. I'm going to ask you, we're kicking off today 21 days of prayer And fasting. And this is so important because every once in a while you need to sense that God is doing something special and unique, and you need to surrender to it, and you need to answer it, and you need to let let God reveal it to you. And prayer and fasting is strategic in illuminating this in our lives and in our church. All through the scriptures, fasting is part of a, a process where people get themselves in line with what God is doing. And remember, fasting, going without food, doing things like this, it's not that we're getting God to do things that we want him to do. We're quieting our our bodies and our our minds and our souls, and we're putting ourselves in line with what he wants. And that's the reason to pray and fast. And so I'm going to ask you to give in to that to surrender to 21 days of praying and fasting and here's what i want you to do i think god's ended up to something big and so here's what i want you to do i want you to pray every day about how you can follow the ways of jesus i don't want you to just think about this on sunday i want you to pray about this every day because the secret isn't in my teaching or in this even in the scriptures necessarily it's in god revealing to you ways that you need to follow jesus and so I'm going to provide a, a Facebook live a, a devotional every day. I'll probably do that early in the day. And, uh, and so that's such an important thing. Choose, I want you to choose a fasting schedule. Choose a fasting schedule to reinforce your spiritual hunger. D- don't do it as penance. Don't do it to try to earn something from God. Do it as an act of humility to say, no, I'm not going to, during this season, Get what I want. I'm going to surrender to what God wants. The way Jesus said it was, he said to his disciples when they asked him why he wasn't eating, he said, I have food that you know nothing about. And the food he was talking about was doing the will of his father. So I want us to get in touch with that. We're gonna, there's all kinds of resources at onechapel.com slash prayer. Onechapel.com slash prayer. Go there and check it out. You can do that right now. That'll help you do a good job of fasting all kinds of ways. And then find someone, finally, this is what I want you to do during 21 days. I want you to find someone to pray for and someone to pray with. Someone to pray for and someone to pray with. Listen, you and I need to be more attentive to who God wants us to pray on behalf of. We need to be the kind of people that when somebody crosses our mind, we'll text them and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. How, how's it going? What's going on? How can I pray for you? We need to think about being active in praying for others. We need to initiate and connect and even prayer walk our neighborhoods when we think about praying for our neighbors. And, and, and so we want to do these things I want you to find someone to pray for, and then I want you to find a group of people to pray with, people you feel comfortable. Of course, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, we want you to find a group of people during this season that you feel comfortable with meeting together, that are leading some kind of protected lifestyle that you're comfortable with engaging them in this COVID-19 season. We want you to share a meal. If you're willing, read a chapter in the scripture. We're uh, asking you to read Matthew. Matthew's so great. The storytelling in Matthew's incredible. Talk about that one chapter. Read it a couple times. Ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And then pray for one another. This is the life that Jesus wants us to follow. A life of simplicity, a life of surrendering, a life of engaging in prayer and conversation and collaboration with him. Now, listen, some of you are here, and you, you're, as I've been talking, you realize maybe how far away from God you are. And it doesn't matter if it's the first time or the first time in a long time that you've leaned into God. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you us all together in a prayer, because no matter where we are, there's more. There's a place to lean into him. And so I want to invite you if you want to follow Jesus in a new way, if you, want to, if you want to reach out to him right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Come on, let's pray it together. Father, there's so much confusion going on around us. So many voices saying so many things and we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be led astray. So many people already throwing in the towel and abandoning their faith. We don't want to be those people. The temptation is so strong. And so, Father, I pray that you will show us how to stand so that we don't become casualties of the times that we're living in. Help us, Lord, to recommit ourselves to you, to teach us how to serve you with greater intensity. Give each person here, each person that is praying with me, increase strength and boldness. Open our eyes so we'll see the snares and pitfalls in front of us. Lord, we don't want to fall into them. We want to avoid them. We want to follow you. Open our eyes so that we may see the areas of compromise that we might have previously been blinded to. Lord, help us stay sincere and pure in our devotion to Jesus. Help us to follow closely and reject all the makeovers and all the cultural ideas that try to attack the Jesus way. Lord, let your love and your truth rule and reign in our hearts. We, we thank you for your love and forgiveness and your faithfulness. And we want to respond to you with love and loyalty. And we want to be your people. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.